You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to take a quick minute to let you guys know about Rockabilia.com. I know you guys know Rockabilia. You've seen those ads with all the colorful t-shirts for all those bands. I know for me, it was a big deal growing up in Alaska, back in the woods where there was no internet, and we'd get those magazines at the store... And I would do two things. First, I would go to Rockabilia, that big full-page colorful ad, and find the coolest t-shirt I could find, the band that looked the most badass. Then I would go to the page in, and I would look at BMG for the five or ten CDs for a penny, and I would go through and try to find those bands, make that connection, and order those records. And a lot of those bands ended up changing my entire life. Now, before the internet... You could always go on and look in those magazines and see those shirts, but now it's all online, rockabilia.com. Great rates on shipping, the same great merchandise, the same amazing bands, and it's a lot easier to go check those bands out. For me, it was partially discovery and partially, you know, just becoming a teenager, becoming an adult, going through and finding those bands. So one hilarious story for Rockabilia was I got my first white zombie t-shirt through Rockabilia. It was a black and white t-shirt with the band on it. All my friends started making fun of me for wearing that shirt because they were getting into punk rock and I was still into metal. Now, I never got out of metal, but Rockabilia was there after the, the hazing got too much. And I went and ordered my first Green Day shirt from Rockabilia, which in turn started off my entire musical career going from playing Green Day covers back in the trailer in Alaska in the woods to the stages of the world playing with Anatomy of a Ghost and Portugal the Man. And Rockabilia had a big part in that. I know it will for you as well. I know it still does. It's nostalgic, but at the same time, they've been keeping up with the times online, rockabilia.com. Check them out now and have your own discovery.
What's going on, guys? Welcome to 2018 Peer Pleasure Podcast. Coming back at you for another year, uh, New Year 2018. We're going to start things out with a banger. We've got Burt McCracken from The Used, episode 64 of the Peer Pleasure Podcast coming at you today. I am Dewey, your host with the most. We are on Jabberjaw Media. We are on Adobe Radio coming at you for 2018. So excited to say that. Glad to have a fresh start. Had a couple weeks off over the holidays. I decided to take uh, spend more time with my kids over the holidays and, and had a great time. I'm glad I did it. I feel refreshed. Uh, I know you guys probably missed having those episodes each week, and I do apologize, but I think the break was worth it. And, uh, you know, a short break for being over a year in, taking the holidays off. So I don't know if I'll make a habit of that, but, you know, I might. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see as of next year. But I am super stoked to bring you this episode today with Bert uh, from The Used. And Justin Shikoski is on this episode a little bit with us. Uh, Justin's the guitar player for The Used now. He was from Seosin. And uh, he is actually going to be on his own episode next week. Um, after doing this interview with Bert and catching up with Justin, uh, we decided to do our own episode with him um, to tell his story. And, and uh, you'll, we'll get more into that next week. But uh, The Used just released The Canyon, and it's an amazing record they did with Ross Robinson. A pretty emotional record for the band, and you know, we talk a bit about that. Uh, Bert had a friend uh, take his life uh, in a canyon in Utah, and that's kind of the premise for where the album came from and uh, you know where it was going and, and working through that grieving process. And at the same time, The Canyon was also an opportunity for Justin to show you know, his songwriting skills and be responsible for, for, you know, writing a lot of the music that went onto this record, uh, after playing, you know, Quinn's parts on, on everything else, this was his chance to really shine. So, uh, we hooked up at the Roseland in Portland, Oregon and hopped on the bus and had a good chat. So I'm super stoked to bring this to you guys, super stoked for the new year. And, uh, you know, it's going to be awesome. So let's get some business out of the way and we'll get into it. Uh, we are at PeerPleasurePodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. Everywhere podcasts are available. We do have the Pleasure Seekers Club Patreon available for those of you that want to support the show uh, in you know more ways, the different tiers, merch, all that stuff. We're going to have a bunch of uh, new merch coming out this year. It's going to be awesome. So uh, I definitely want to talk about Rockabilia.com. Rockabilia.com supports the show and the network. Uh, you head over to rockabilia.com and grab yourself some band merch. I mean, it's all officially licensed merch. It's fantastic stuff. I've been using that service since I was a kid. And, uh, you know, in the beginning of the episode, I'm sure you heard the commercial. Uh, but it is true. I've been using Rockabilia since I was a kid back in Alaska. And uh, it's a fantastic company, and they're doing great things for the network, and they're doing great things for the show. Uh, we're also brought to you by Stumptown Coffee here in Portland. Definitely check out their two new locations if you are here in Portland. Stumptown Coffee is powering the Peer Pleasure Podcast week after week, keeping us awake, keeping us alive, and uh, we really appreciate having them on board as well. All right, guys. So without further ado, I want to get into my conversation with Burt McCracken from The Used.
the residuals. These essays make me cough. Mm. All right. Well, Burt McCracken. They are the used. Hi. Welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast, my friend. How are you? Good. We've got Justin here as well. We got the whole the whole shebang. Um, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. We got half the shebang. Half the shebang. <laughs> uh, I wanted to I wanted to start out. Um, I wanted to go back because you and I have something in common as far as uh, growing up goes. You grew up in Utah. Yes, I did. I grew up in a small island in Alaska, but we both grew up LDS. Wow. And both have since left the LDS church and that whole thing. And uh, I wanted to know, you know, growing up, childhood was good for you. Growing up in that in that environment, I remember, I know it was for me uh, until I started to think for myself and start to ask questions. And uh, I want to know kind of when that happened for you. I think that um, maybe around 11, I'm trying to think, fifth grade or fourth grade. Either one of those, I did a, um, a research paper or like a low-level biography paper on Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. And uh, when asking my parents about why the african-american people weren't allowed the priesthood until like two or three years before i was born Mm -hmm. that really never that just i could not reconcile that in my mind at all even being that young i just couldn't wrap my head around it and then luckily i met a few people who had already kind of seen a few other discrepancies within not only the book of mormon and the Mm -hmm. doctrine and covenants and the pearl of great price but in the people and the history of the people, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young mm-hmm. and John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff, Lorenzo S- Snow, the whole slew of uh, polygamists, capitalists, mm-hmm. pretty much. So, yeah, I was lucky that I got out early, lucky in a way for, for my own peace of mind, but it really destroyed my childhood and it was really traumatic. And even people that leave earlier, there's no easy way out. I have mm-hmm. friends who are just now leaving, I have an uncle who's just left at 60 and has had to come out wow. as gay after years of conversion therapy mm-hmm. from the Mormon church. And that kind of ostracization and that kind of, he's he's been treated so inhumanely. Mm-hmm. And in the face of all that, being brave enough to have the courage to look at what's of what's available and not put things on the shelf like they tell you to do and not just have faith because we have all the information there. (laughs) It's really sensitive because I want to have a relationship with my family. So that's like very poignant analogy for how to function in a world where so many people have these almost feels like blood feud type loving connections with their beliefs. Mm Mm-hmm. They are so severely personal to them that uh, an idea like survival of the fittest, Charles Darwin's idea of how mm-hmm. we got here is uh, so impossible for people to think about because it's so inflicting yeah. on their own ideas of the spirit soul. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so in that way, I've kind of learned to find the balance and say things only when I need to say things. and. I think that people will only have aha moments by themselves, but that's a 
that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that was something I was really interested in knowing because for me, the same, same thing. I kind of discovered, uh, we moved from that Island up to the mainland of Alaska and that's when I started middle school. And that's when I started thinking for myself and started church up there. And the, the friends I made were the guys that were sitting out on the couch through sacrament meeting and then we started talking about skateboarding and all that stuff and getting into the the counterculture as it were at the time and just trying to talk to my parents about it i mean they basically you know you're going to seminary in the morning before school and if you don't believe in it by the time you're a senior you can walk away and that of course that day came and i walked away but it's really hard to to talk to your parents about that yeah i'm sure like we were talking about for yourself like when you started questioning things kind of ruined your childhood at that point but your childhood before that was pretty good at that point wasn't it as far as when you still had the wool over your eyes and and everything was you know i've been to utah quite a bit and it's a strange <coughs> beautiful place as far as uh you know the missionary special at ihop and like everything is so geared towards that lifestyle you know yeah i had a i think that it's um not the not the most devastating of childhood stories there's the regular religious oppression but then there's a lot of other stuff that i i prefer not to talk about sure because it's so personal to people who are still alive gotcha relationships with my mother and my father mm -hmm. so yeah my my childhood growing up was good and and bad just like everybody's childhood sure um one thing i i did have was access to um i think that being a kind of even basic middle class in, in America mm -hmm. in the late 80s also affords kids um, counterculture and, and, yeah. and other opportunities that, that I, I wasn't poor. I didn't grow up poor. So that's, um, but at the same time, I, I did grow up around kids who were rich. I was in a band with uh, Jeremy Osmond, Donnie Osmond's kid. So I didn't have that access to <laughs> education or. Mm -hmm even musical instruments or anything like that. But yeah, yeah, my, my childhood, I would say summed up was, was, a um, a classic American entitled religious, um, fearful, tortured childhood. Yeah. <laughs> um, not on a third world level for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a privileged childhood. Okay. And you left home early. You left home very early very early yeah you know and and uh that's all religious as well sure sure and so with that i'm sure came depression and everything else started to settle in and and um i mean the last time i guess the biggest the biggest thing i noticed is the last time i saw you was early 2000s and you were a whole nother person of course we all were at that time but i think after seeing you know, I watched a few interviews and things like that over the years and just kind of watched you come into who you are now. And it's just a night and day change for the better, I think. And uh, I think you've really found who you are at this point. You know what I mean? I, I don't know how you feel about that, but from the outside looking in, it seems like you've got a good grasp on who you are and what you want to be. Um, yeah, when we stay lost, then we always have new where where's and why's and when's to be right mm -hmm. when we never have it, anything figured out it's um it's almost like we can that's i'm, I'm talking more 
metaphysically. But mm-hmm. when I never really have time to to feel like this is this is where in life I'm supposed to be or this is how I'm supposed to feel. And I I found I found depression a long time before I left the church. I feel like a huge part of my religious upbringing was depressed such a depressing idea burning Mm -hmm. in hell for time and all eternity and saying shit and that somehow all the connotations of that and what Mm -hmm. i have to take upon myself like i have to feel guilty for that to be able to apologize for that yeah when i can't find the guilt for something i don't understand that brings on this other type of guilt that's very complex and very depressing (laughs) anadenic depression surface level depression mm-hmm. i never stayed in bed but i did have a seasonal depression problem where i would be sick for three weeks after christmas because uh-huh. it's this time of year and sure. the sun goes down at 4 30 and you're like wow yeah that's some real shit too. but that's that i think that comes along with we have the time to spend on reflecting on feeling guilty for saying shit right i had the time when i was little to torture myself and nobody around me was helping me see things logically or clearly sure and i didn't know anyone else thought about death and i didn't know that anyone else was afraid of pain and uh hurting their parents feelings or Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't really have any adult friend um uh, friendships with adults on, Mm -hmm. on that level of like a respectful friendship level with an adult sure and I mean, also coming from that, I mean, the one good thing I think that came from that that upbringing, in my case too, was music from an early age. Whether it's these, and it's, I was thinking about it before I came in the bus. I could I could recite back some of those primary songs, word for word, with the melody and everything, but it exposed me to at least to music at an early age, which I think helped kind of blossom into you know going to my dad's radio show and listening to pop records why i couldn't make any noise in his studio and do you feel the same way where where that exposure to music helped or did you have another kind of huge moment that that uh music kind of came into your life yeah that was it as well for me my family was very musical my mom forced me to play piano from a very young age and okay my dad plays a few different instruments so i picked up the trumpet like him and he sings he was in the mormon tabernacle choir it was always a part of my Mm -hmm. childhood okay and then rock and roll became my um my way to rebel against what my parents believed yeah when when my mom started throwing away nirvana records i knew that (sighs) i was doing something right you know yeah yeah mine was beastie boys and the chronic yeah my mom saw the cover of um incesticide and was uh-huh. just like do you know what that means i'm like yeah it's like death by kitty diddling <laughs> <laughs> because i totally understood the what the word meant in itself yeah i think in your in utero was the first up. nirvana record i actually got and i got it on cassette Nice. And uh, that's something I could stash away a lot easier than than having them find my CDs. But um, so I mean, years later, you get into the used. I mean, things fairly explode as far as going from obscurity to extreme popularity really fast. Um, and that's when I met you in two thousand three on Warped. 
was kind of at the 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 rise there where everything was starting to to build and build and build and that success what did that do to your 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 state of mind your 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 whole world kind of changed all of a sudden from experiencing homelessness and extreme poverty to you know everything's kind of handled at that point i mean you have tour managers you have uh booking agents publicists i mean it's a machine and and you're you're i hate to use the word handled but it gets to a point where that kind of is how it happens right. where you have you know have to talk to four people to to get an email in or or you know and and uh how did that how how was that ride for you i mean is, is that where things started to get more intense with substance and and everything and just you know excess i think it in a way it kind of the two the two reflect such a kind of cool beautiful way when when you're homeless when you're a teenager there's a lot of nights where you stay in the park but there's also your friend's house or you sneak in your friend's mom's basement and they'll bring you food so it feels kind of like that when you first start touring. You're in an RV or a van, mm -hmm. and you're staying wherever you can, or you have a hotel booked, and it's kind of really like this on-the-road homeless type of life. Mm -hmm. You you get to shower when whenever you do get to shower. Yeah, yeah. And you know if there's food somewhere around, people are hungry. You're like, fuck yeah, okay, dinner. You know. Yeah. So that was, we were kind of, I was kind of used to that life a little bit before. It wasn't as drastic as like the meth warehouse where, you know, nobody ever ate or only, you know, you only, you never showered. But um, I think that a couple of years into it and I, when we were playing huge shows on Warp Tour, like, well, by the end of the first Warp Tour, I think they put us on the main stage and... <clears throat> I always felt like that's where we were supposed to be anyways not in a not in a over confidently hubris type of way really but yeah exactly because I mm -hmm. knew that our band was a lot better than the bands that were on the tour um in my mind it wasn't all that subjective we could play and we we had something to look at we had something to offer and I felt music always belonged to this level of a little bit deeper than the skin mm -hmm. level I'm trying to get deeper and deeper yeah as deep as literature because we have access to both worlds music and the form of it with words and the form of that can you take someone's breath away for good mm -hmm. can it be as powerful as a smell i think so do you feel that? Do you feel that? I mean, your contribution to the. I didn't even. Is, I've just totally avoided your question. That's okay. Amazing. That's okay. Yeah, it changed us in a lot of ways, but I think that we were always ready for something big. Uh, I, I was at least, but yeah, I, um, it was only soon after that when I lost someone very dear to me, and and my feelings spiraled out of control on an inward level, mm -hmm. um, never talking about it or even or tr or actually trying to avoid thinking about it. Um, about Kate's death was where I learned to get really drunk. It's where I learned to forget about how sick I felt and drink through it. Yeah. And that life, yeah, that became my life for a really long time. Man, I remember, I, and I don't, and we didn't talk before this about things we don't want to talk about or do want to talk about, but I remember the first, I mean, and I'd seen things happening. We, we pulled up in the van to Boise the first day to Warp Tour and we, we had, uh, 
our guitar tech had fallen asleep at the rest stop where we got out to piss earlier in the morning. So we woke up at the same place we stopped eight hours earlier. And so we were late. And uh, I caught your guys' set um, that first day. And I'd seen everything beforehand. I, of course, you hear all these rumors and everything else, like like every band. And uh, it was electrifying. And I was watching. I, I don't think that I don't think you'd started jumping off the monitors yet that first night. But the next day, I think it was like two in the afternoon or something. I was used. I was going to find a porta potty or something, and you had come out of the bus. Because you can never tell whose bus was what. And I was like, "Whoa, okay." And I I said hi or whatever, and it looked like you could barely open your eyes. And at that point, I was almost worried for. I didn't know you. I didn't know much of anything about you, but I was worried. And I just kind of watched throughout the tour because everyone was kind of, this was my first experience with like bands that were on a bigger level. You know, I mean, we were still on $15, uh, uh, $15 a day per diem, like um, living in the van. There's 10 of us in a 15 passenger and everyone's on buses with all this access to everything, a lot more money. Um, and getting thrust into that, all of a sudden you're with your heroes, like, was a really interesting experience for me and, and I genuinely felt worry you know and then I don't know exactly what where you were at at that point in time I guess what I'm saying but but I could see it. 2003 yeah I mean I guess realistically after even people even people that knew me or or were kind of closer to me it was, it was a it was a whirlwind type of life. We were always on the move, and it was always mm-hmm. a, it was on feelings, trying to get to that next feeling, yeah, or that next high, that next big drunk, or that next big night that you talk about the next night when you're drunk, or whatever it was. You know, that just yeah. became life. And for a long time, the band functioned on that level. We we drank like that together, and then they saw the reality of. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it it's only fun for so long, really. Yeah, and I mean, with being being the the <laughs> lyricist in the band, and and uh, I'm not sure how much you write musically for the band, but do you feel a deeper connection with your word with words and music together than just words alone? I guess is what I mean. It's when you're on stage and you have that power, that microphone of everyone. I mean, to a certain degree. At, at this level, you could walk out on stage and say fart and everyone will scream and think it's the coolest thing ever. But you have that power and you have that that platform. Do you feel that your words are more powerful with music behind them? Of course, yeah. Um, it's the... That's what's important and special about the, the new record is the, not only the best of my... Um, the best of the best of my writing... But it's the best of the combination of both worlds. It's the best music that we've created around mm-hmm. it. And it's the best parts of, of of all of it. So the combination does the most justice. I mean, the, I'm taken, I'm most taken by words. Um, and when I get to put my best foot forward with some people who care about music as much as I care about words, then, holy shit, you you can really feel the difference and the separation mm-hmm. there. Um, and and the, I think the fact that we are looking for that answer, you know, we are 
it's a search, it's a journey, and it's a, it's a quest. We're trying to go deeper within ourselves because mm-hmm. that's where the best material lies. Yeah. Is at the core of us, whatever that means. Um, but the more we understand what we're doing, the more I understand writing, the more under, the Justin understands composure of music, the, the, the deeper we can get. And the more we understand the rules, the, the, the more eloquently we can break the rules. Mm-hmm. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey. I want to tell you about some new releases coming up from Equal Vision Records. As you guys know, Equal Vision Records is my family, and so are these bands. I really want you to check these out. We've got Hot Water Music with their 10th studio album, Vows, out May 10th, featuring guest appearances by Dallas Green of City and Color, Thrice, The Interrupters, and Brendan and Daniel from Turnstile. See them on the 30th anniversary tour with Quicksand in the States in May and June and Europe in November. Hotwatermusic.com for more info. We also have Be Well with their new 7-inch, A Tap I Can't Turn Off, out now. First new music in two years from this band. This band is incredible, featuring members of Battery, Bane, Darkest Hour, and Fairweather. See them on tour with I Am The Avalanche in June. Equalvision.com for more info on that. And just your general information on Equal Vision Records, you're always going to find something you like at Equalvision.com. Go there for vinyl and merch from all of your favorite bands. Check out Hot Water Music's new record and Be Well's new 7-inch now. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, They have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working as most people are online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, You can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the past cast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the past cast. The past cast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest. Uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month, because I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. That's one thing I noticed when, when you got Justin in the band is I know how good of a guitar player he is and I mean, watching with Sayosin and, and uh, just, I mean, just at soundcheck, it was absolutely, absolutely insane. Just watching you guys play. I was like, man, all these guys can play. And then when you got the band, I was like, man, things are going to change. Like a fucking player. I mean, hop on there, Justin. <laughs> this is the first time uh, that I've really gotten to write songs. Like Sayosin was a different type of band. Like mm-hmm. everybody in the band was like hyper kind of control hyper controlling of what everyone else was doing and yeah. this band um, I kind of felt that they allowed me Bert allowed me to feel open enough to just give them ideas yeah. you know what I mean and I've never kind of done that before I've always kind of had to have things like a couple of the songs a couple of the demos that I had for this record I've had for quite a while and I've mm-hmm. like never showed them to anyone just out of pure self-consciousness or what, you know what I mean? Really? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, this has been a really strange situation for me. Um, yeah. Because I, 
you put myself out there with these guys who I'm the same way with you. Like Seosin did those early warp tours and we did mm-hmm. taste of chaos with the used. Yep. So the used was, you know, a, a huge band for me when I was growing, you know, into the kind of scene, whatever. Yeah. You, know, you and I are in the same spot. Yeah. Thing. yeah. So, um, so I don't know to be in the situation that's so different from Seosin and be so kind of, uh, welcomed into it and I, i've mm-hmm. said this before but like at no point were any of the demos i had like shunned because they weren't the used enough or like you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah, ever yeah like something you know i would send them something on that i just did on the iphone or or like a well-composed demo mm-hmm. and never was there like a negative thing ever like it, it was awesome like some of the um er, early on and kind of before we did pre-production we did like a vocal kind of writing session i guess and he just came over and put a bunch of his ideas over kind of demos and it there the songs were i mean you yeah. know what i mean it was really kind of a magical thing you know i i you know i don't know how to describe it but um so i mean that was it's a super new experience for me yeah uh, composing overall music instead of just kind of parts you know seos and i was able to put my kind of tasty stuff on things mm-hmm. and there was a couple songs that i composed you know the whole song but it was more rare so sure and then a being a, a one guitar player band too like yeah i mean it, it's it's different it's uh i and i suppose that kind of shoots uh it, i shot myself in the foot at some points because the way i write stuff uh is you know layering sound a, a lot of times i use a looper a lot mm-hmm. of the songs were kind of the bones were constructed on just kind of just jamming out a a verse and then jamming out a chorus and kind of putting parts over it. And uh, when you get to recording, you have all these ideas and you have to kind of pick the ones that are, you know, the most pertinent to the song and, you know, figure out what works with the vocals and figure out what everyone likes. And, you know, it's a, it's a reductive process. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you know, the, uh, I, I suppose the, the chords and the flow of the music and the, the, the harmony of the whole composition has uh, was super important. Mm-hmm. You know, the flow of kind of how it made you feel. and Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. But you stepped into that role. I mean, this, I think this is the best record out of all of them. And that's, I, I listened to it. I, uh, I kind of, I went through it. Uh, I listened to Matt Pinfield's podcast and uh, and the, he did a good deep dive into that explaining pretty much every he's he's coming on the show here shortly as well. Um, and uh, he went on a on a decent deep dive about each song almost. And so I sat there. So I'm at, at work with my headphones on all day. I have a computer there. I was listening to the podcast and I listened to the explanation and I go to Spotify and pull up the track and then everything just made that much more sense um, listen to that thing and uh it's it was it was really good that's awesome you know and matt the coolest thing about matt is he loves everything so he just he's, he's so amazing. passionate uh but hearing 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 him you know bring that stuff out and and ask those questions is was really uh eye-opening and so and with this record working with ross robinson um it sounds like he went a different route with you guys than the stories you hear about, you know, him going crazy and, and throwing stuff. And it seems like he, he went for a more kind of spiritual vibe. I, yeah, I think that that's what I, that's what it that's the way he works around 
the personality. I think that some people need to have, like some people are so far removed from the ability to touch the inside mm-hmm. of creation that he would need to throw something at them. Yeah. To be able to, to drop bring it out. the facade or to take off the mask for a second mm-hmm. to be able to. But it was like a powwow for us. We sit around the campfire and cry our hearts out because we had a lot to talk about during those four months we were creating. And sure. Like Justin was saying, there's there's well, there's twelve there's twelve different people in total four, so there's three. And <laughs> Justin writes a song that's about one thing that happened to him, but one million things mm-hmm. that I, of course, I know what that song is about. And of course, that's why it fits so well is that those reflections are everyone's reflections. And because Justin knows guitar so well, he says it a lot better than the other guitar player did. Mm-hmm. And because I read a lot more than those guys, I said it a little better than those guys did. And that's not being cocky that's being logical sure in my mind sure we bounce ideas off each other really well because we are passionate about what we're doing and and not just that it's it's not for us it's in the moment it has to be but we we understand that it's it's a lot bigger than us absolutely whatever that means like a hieroglyph well, it's it, you think about it on the literal sense, and you think about it on a more spiritual sense. I mean, you guys have an audience. You do something that gets out to millions of people like that. Yeah. So f- physically, like, uh, you know, that product gets out there and is, is, you know, out there for everyone to hear. But at the same time, you know, on a more spiritual level, I mean, you're you're basically pushing out these feelings onto onto this piece of plastic or for now onto the internet. Well, to leave our, to leave our, ourselves behind in it. I think that that's what we talked about before. We wanted to stand naked in front of the world and have people say exactly what they would say about it. Because if we're pouring our hearts out, I'm standing naked in front of you crying about someone I loved dearly. Yeah. Um, I think not only is it exposing of art and the, and the intention of creation, but I think it also exposes the listener and the listener's intentions and the world we live in and everybody's well-constructed opinions about genuine art mm-hmm. <laughs> um, are, are uh, a lot of things we could not think about while we were creating it because mm-hmm. we were so inside of it. But I think that... Um, like I was saying earlier on, I didn't believe that anyone else thought about dying like I did. Mm-hmm. And trying to teach my daughter that everybody thinks about it that way. Yeah. Everybody's freaked out about it. Everybody's desperately wants to connect with somebody about these huge, heavy, dark, mysterious questions. Absolutely. And that's why we're letting ourselves go like it's a journal. That's mm-hmm. why we're giving our entire selves to the record in hopes that somebody sees that hieroglyph and and says, "Wow, I can, I can, that helps me. Mm-hmm. That helps me out a little bit." Sure, right? of course. Yeah, and think about, I mean, to go opposites here with with so like Kurt Cobain. Uh, I meant I heard you mention, you know, he's part of uh, over and over again. <clears throat> uh, 
I'm I'm assuming you're talking about that plane flight with uh, Duff McKagan on the way home from Seattle, where he was last time he was really seen by anybody. Or, um, when you're talking He's about on a plane. living on a plane, I'm talking about the song. What's that? On a plane. My favorite. I took that song. completely wrong. On a plane. You see that? That's the last. I just watched that documentary, and they said that's the last time anyone really saw him or talked to him. On besides a plane, that bar. You always live. So it's more of a. I took I that the found so much meaning way. in the meaninglessness of his mm-hmm. sad philosophy. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. Gotcha. Okay. He'll always live in that special, unimportant place. Well, what I was getting at is is when he committed suicide, I think they talked about like 68 people, copycat suicides, thinking, and you went through suicide, the canyon, with your friend. When you put out such an emotional record like this, putting those feelings out there, I can only imagine the lives it's saving because of that event, which caused this record to be written this way, to be put out there. I those mean, are the only things that you can really believe and have faith in Yeah, on the planet. Those are the only things that are worth leaps of faith in my mind because mm-hmm. those things will never be reciprocated to me, right? Those are like... yeah. Um, I would never know. I could never know. We do yeah. signings where people tell me that, and that sure that feeds that curiosity. Yeah, truly knowing is a, is a, it's impossibility. So yeah, with with that in mind, the intention is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that art has done that for me. Yeah. So if that's what I'm able to do for someone else, then that's that's God. Sure, God is an idea. Like it's just a. I mean, it's. I, I absolutely agree well, with creation that. creation through, I mean, right? Creation mm-hmm. and saving lives through sending your creation and sacrificing something for the goodness of humanity. That's what sure. I just did with yeah. the canyon. It hurt me that much. And, I mean, what's the response been to the record so far? I mean, especially a record that personal, if you get on, I'm sure you probably don't get on like message boards or anything like that. Any of that shit. I'm glad but I don't you don't have, have social media. Well, you know, I'm, I'm human. So it's, it's worth a look around and I'm on the press list. So I get every review and every um, piece of press that's done. I get sent to an email. So do you I, read it? A lot of it. I do. Yeah. And I, I it's, it's pretty mind bottling that well, I haven't really read one bad review. That's fantastic. I know there's a lot of um, polarity in the sound for for mm-hmm. young for young listeners, and I think the ear is trained for this really inauthentic. And I don't want to say Lincoln Park in a bad way, but it's a Pro Tools sounding perfection. That's yeah. It's like, a, it's like a, we we talked about this before. It's like if Lincoln Park, it's it, it's like a caricature of what Lincoln Park. It, it's like a uh, yeah, almost like a dubstep Lincoln Park pair. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This, this mm-hmm. crispy, yep, shimmery, we like all low end and all top end. Nothing in the middle. Exactly. No substance. Scooped mids and yeah. Yeah, it, it, but metaphorically Drum samples and and, and graphic EQ wise. You yeah. know what I mean? You know, and it's yeah. it's it's spreading across the kind of rock. Mm-hmm. Pop popular rock stuff, you know? active so, rock radio, and yeah. and even below that level, I hear it all yeah. the time. And a lot I know of exactly what you're talking about. Of, we grew, you know, the, our were once you know metalcore or 
fucking demos, you know, we hear it now. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Like yeah. younger bands, like that's the that's the sound that is shot for. That, mm-hmm. You know, that's what people like. That you know, that's the desired sound. Yeah, you know, the record needs to sound like this. Super, you know, just no feel, no instrument playing, no groove. You mm-hmm. know, everything's so fucking yeah, fucking linear. Yeah, just like yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's crazy. There's yeah. no like curve to a waveform. It's all just right angles now. yeah it's weird none of those happy accidents or anything that happened in the studio or sure. the and that's what the meaning of like this record is is all about that like whenever we had something cool happen whenever uh someone had a cool idea or we played something on some weird instrument or had some weird idea we mm-hmm. we went for it you know yeah and, uh, try everything and it was kind of that way with the songs too we had so many songs to to uh to choose from to actually record for the record when we decided on the songs, it was like, okay, well, we have 17 to do, but how many do you guys really want to record? We were like, well, fucking all of them. They are like, well, how many do you want on the record? It's like, yeah. well, we're going to record them all, so fucking, we got to put them all out. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, it wasn't even really a question, really. It was kind of a, we just decided to do it from the beginning, so... That's so amazing. To go from being very timid with what you had to coming up with 17 you know pieces of music well like i said it's 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 easy with we had a mountain of stuff we had a mountain of stuff and like with like he said like with the the energy of bouncing ideas off each other Mm -hmm. and and, uh and then when ross came in and kind of ross is an interesting character because he doesn't really i don't believe he said the word like note once or, or or you know or any musical term Mm -hmm. you know he is a very i mean he you know he's not the musical per se producer he is all emotion he is all uh fucking making you making you get out what you're trying to say he asks you in a million ways what are you saying what are you trying to say yeah what are you feeling when you're saying that what do you want me to feel when you're saying that what do you eat i mean Mm -hmm. in a million different ways and he asks asks it in the most like cuttingly real way he could you know what yeah. I mean? and he figures it out everyone's different you know and by the end of the recording process at some point we've all kind of cracked in one way mm-hmm. i think maybe jeff's the only one that kind of remained chill like dan cracked one time i cracked you did you know what i mean it's you know what i'm saying like, yeah it's, it's, i know what you're you saying know, and, and in different ways you know what i mean like it's you know, it's uh, it, it's cool. He he, he did something that I thought was uh, like lore in production. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, you know, like he's like what I thought producers were back then. You know, mm-hmm. he was what I heard about producers being. You know, instead yeah. of now, the producers that are making a product. You know what I mean? And yeah. like making something. It's 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 different with him. He's he's really trying to say something with what what he's doing and he realized that we only have so many days here so it's like you know what we do with these days is incredibly important so sure let's fucking you know do it how much of himself does he put out there to you guys i mean he's drawing things out of you but does he put himself in that mix or does he stay emotionally i mean he's pulling from you but does he put something from him in the in the mix he... in that group I mean, he, I know we can't talk specifics, but does he open up to you like you open up to him or what he draws out of you? Oh, definitely. 
I I think so. I think he he bleeds for it as much as we do. Okay. In, in a different in a different you know yeah in, in a non musical way. But it, you know I mean the guy's technical ability and and how he does he's not technically he's not um, he doesn't do things the way people do them now. He mm-hmm. does things the way people used to do them. And yeah. There's a reason why people did them for. There's a reason why people edited drums in a certain way. You know, mm-hmm. it's like click track fuck you like he, yeah. he you know he he didn't want to use click on anything okay. you know he 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 is just not that type of producer so yeah everything that kind of made him who he is today he lent to the record and mm-hmm. you hear it you know you 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 totally totally hear it and i i believe he was in it as much as as much as we were that's all that's something i was curious about i had johnny whitney from blood brothers on we talked about ross a little bit and Johnny posted something on Twitter that he was on the show and the first response was Ross Robinson because he was asking a question. He's like, I'm not sure why I'm, you know, we did what we did or blah, blah, blah. And Ross wrote back some incredibly heartfelt tweet (laughs) saying, well, it's simple. It's because you're the, and it's some big long thing. I can't remember it exactly, but right away I was like, wow. Yeah. This many years later, still that close, you know? And uh, so, I mean, the record's out. You're touring right now with Glassjaw. I mean, the response has been great. You haven't seen, I mean, from what you're saying, I haven't seen many bad reviews, and I haven't either. Um, I think it's a fantastic record. Um, you know, I'm just, like I said, just so happy for where you guys are at. And, and uh, you know, from from being a fan standpoint from way back in the day to being a fan of you just from what you've been doing your whole career, because we came at the same time. Yeah, it's and, crazy. Uh, I I wanted to uh, to wrap things up with um, Bert. What would you say to a listener that's listening right now that that may be struggling with depression or or uh, trying to find themselves as far as um, you know? A lot of people I get a lot of emails uh, after these shows of people saying, "Hearing you know so and so say this got me into rehab, got me off the ledge," you know, like it's a big deal, you know, and I find these conversations, I think I take something from every one of these conversations. People don't talk anymore. It's all texting. It's all, you know, and I do have social media. I post when the show goes up. That's about it. Maybe a picture of my daughter or my son, um, doing something cute, but I don't spend much time on there because I don't feel like I, the body language is important. We don't, we're going to lose that. I think we're going to lose a lot of things the way things are going. And so these conversations, I feel, a true value comes from these conversations as far as something I'll remember something a lot of people listening remember, but I always like to ask, you know, someone who's gone through some, uh, you know, hard times and, and come out on the other side, at least, um, to what I can gather, what you would say to someone out there that's struggling with either addiction or, or depression or even a conflict, you know, with their family. Like I think you we're and I. in a, in a tricky modernity has made everything really a lot more takes us out of ourselves a lot less made the convenience of a lot of technology um has eliminated a lot of situations where we might be put to a social kind of test walking up to meeting new people face to face is a lot different than meeting them behind your black mirror Mm -hmm. and 
I, it's impo- if you want to look at it objectively, we shouldn't, we shouldn't say that that's either a good or a bad thing. We just live in the dark ages of tech, this weird technological movement because we haven't truly harnessed all the power of the, the ways of, of, of the wise computer. <laughs> if, we, mm-hmm. if we want to dedicate our lives to, to computer algorithms, then that might be beneficial for humans at some point. But right now we're on a level of we're still trapped in it in a consumerist cycle and there's no cure for depression. And I think that what's cool about technology now is there's so many different outlets for um, healthy escape. And I think that art is meant to challenge you to take a deeper, closer look at yourself. And the amount of art that's available at our fingertips we could use that a little bit as a cure for depression. I, I know I do. Mm-hmm. When, when it's impossible for me to escape the center of the universeness and me and how important my feelings are and why I'm so sad or why I can't feel anything or why I feel everything, um, I can read something that was written 100 years ago and find a great, healthy, challenging escape that teaches me so much about myself that maybe I just don't have anything figured out and that's why I'm depressed. Or maybe the closer I get to figuring stuff out, the more things that I will have to occupy my depressed time. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, I think that art is worth living for, if not life. Fantastic. And uh, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show. I really oh, yeah, do. Thanks and, for and, the uh, kind words about our new record. It's the most dude. important thing we've ever done it's it's intense i mean it's it's a great record and uh, you guys should be proud i mean and uh, we are extremely yeah and and you get to go out every night and and do what you love to do i mean that's something that so few people get to do on the grand scheme of things that that well i think that the more time i have to reflect on it i obsess over the odyssey but i think that we made um the first part i think we made the iliad and when my friend gets killed by himself, the second half of the reflection is my trying to grasp at anything to, mm. to bring me back to reality. I mean, I think that when Achilles loses his mind, it takes true human experience. It takes a touch of a hand and it takes another human experience to bring him back so i can't wait to i can't wait to make the odyssey <laughs> yeah i can't wait for what's to come well, do you guys think you'll work with ross again 100 percent. yeah of course we would if i yeah if he would That's only awesome. have us i can Man. never imagine doing a record different yeah, we already got, got ideas in here <laughs> tons i mean don't we, lose it like kirk hammett dude no, if that actually happened no, yeah, we had 1,000 songs recorded and then we just lost. Yeah, I left my iPhone on a plane and now I can't write any songs. But anyway, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much, Bert and Justin, for coming on the show. Man. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hell yeah. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bert McCracken from The Used and Justin Shikoski was also on there a little bit. Uh, like I said, we are going to have Justin on next week for his own episode. We're going to go over the story of Seosin. Uh, what happened there? Why he's no longer with Seosin? How he got in with the used? A whole bunch of whole bunch of goodies in there. So definitely, definitely check out PeerPleasurePodcast.com for all those updates. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Big thanks to Katie at Big Picture Media, and uh, I mean just the whole crew 
for the used uh, sheep tour dog for getting everything lined out, making sure everything was was taken care of, everyone was comfortable, and I mean just a, it's just a professional outfit that really you know even the band talks about how great their crew is, and that's you know it's not a necessarily a rare thing, but a lot of bands don't even know who their publicist is, and these guys really love their team and have been with them for a long time. So big shout out to Katie for that and and uh, keep up the great work. So uh, big thanks to Bert. Uh, he's living in Australia now, so the only time to really get together is is uh, on on tour over here in America. So we were able to make that happen and and uh, really stoked to bring it to you guys. Really appreciate you guys uh, taking the taking the holiday and being patient while we waited on these episodes. Uh, but we are back in full swing and be coming at you every week like usual. So. I really appreciate having you guys week after week. Check out rockabilia.com. Check out stumptowncoffee.com. Check out purepleasurepodcast.com. And as always, we'll see you on the radio. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.